We are, um, we are starting a new series. Uh, we are in the Christmas season. How many know that we are in the Christmas season, whether you like it or not? It is upon us. And I want to look at why the birth of Jesus matters. So for the next three weeks, we're just going to dive into that. We're going to look at the incarnation of Jesus. We're going to get a little theological over the next couple of weeks, but is that okay? Can we get a little theological and, and just, yeah, I like that. Oh, okay. You guys just made my whole day. You just made my whole day. Um, it's important for us to understand why we celebrate Christmas, because I know as a kid, you know, I always thought that, you know, Christmas was about the presents and, you know, eating Christmas cookies, eating more Christmas cookies, eating more Christmas cookies, right? How many of you love Christmas cookies? How many of you love the cutouts, Christmas cutouts, all right, let me, t- let me just take a quick survey this morning as we dive into the Word. Um, how many of you like your cutout Christmas cookies frosted? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you say, no, I don't like the frosting? Raise your hand. Okay, you need to leave. You guys are weird. Okay, come on. So my daughter Lily made some cut- cutouts the other day, and I love the frosting. So this is how I eat mine. Not only are they frosted, but Lily had a bowl of the frosting next to the cutouts that she had that she hadn't frosted yet. So basically, I was dipping the cutouts like you dip nachos into guac. Can I get an amen out there? You guys are feeling it, aren't you? And I would just dip it in there. See, good. You guys aren't weird. You guys are just as weird as I am. And I was just, in, Lily's like, whoa, Dad, calm down with the frosting. But it is just... I love, I love cutouts. So anyways, you know, for me, Christmas, you know, we would go traditionally as a family, you know, we went to church and we would go to the Christmas Eve service, but you know, you know, Christmas Eve always got in the way of, you know, getting to your presence. You know, it was like something you had to do. You kind of had to go through it. And it was like, you know, it's, it's not that I didn't believe, you know, who Jesus was and that he was the son of God. It just wasn't personal for me. It was more of a religious thing. It was something we had had to do. And that's kind of what I thought as as a child. And I knew Christmas was about the birth of Jesus, but it didn't make complete sense to me. And I want us to understand this morning, Christmas is all about the birth of God and God coming to earth. God literally coming to earth. This one doctrine of the incarnation of God becoming flesh is completely exclusive to Christianity where God actually comes and he dwells among us and he lived among us to show us the way back to a right relationship with the Father. So in Christian uh, doctrine or teaching, we call this the doctrine of the incarnation. So what is the incarnation? Let's understand what this means. The word incarnation literally means the act of being made flesh. So what we understand from scriptures is Jesus, the Son of God, actually took on human flesh. So We're going to understand what this actually means. The Apostle John explains for us in his gospel in the first chapter about the divinity of Jesus, about the Jesus becoming flesh, coming in incarnate form to live among us. John wanted his readers to understand the divinity of Christ as they read through his whole gospel. Listen to what John says in the first chapter of John 14. He said the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the only of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth god's glory dwelt among us in human form fully god 
and fully man at the same time. So are you ready to get your minds blown this morning? Because I love this. What, what makes me a follower of Jesus is Jesus. He, it's incredible, the person of Christ and who he is and how different it is from every other world belief. The eternal word, John says, took on human flesh. God came to live and to dwell among us that we might know him. So the doctrine is exclusive to Christianity. So what we see is Jesus, both divine and human nature at the same time. So what I want to look at today as we dive into this series, I want to look at Jesus' humanness and I want to look at his divine nature. And I want to discover those for you today and, and why it's so imperative for us to understand that. So what we know is that, that God was fully God and fully man. Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. Now what we understand is that he did not have to pick between his divinity or his humanness. Jesus was not simply like man. He is in every way entirely man. He was like us in every way except for our sin, the Bible talks about. So he can relate to us. He understands what we go through. And there's a word for this union of the divine with the, the human in Christ. It's a, it's, a, it's a theological word. It's the hypostatic union of Christ. So we're going to talk about the hypostatic union of Christ. You feel like you're sitting in a seminary class, right? So we're going to sit in a seminary class for just a minute. We're going to talk about this because this is so important for us to understand. And, and hopefully this will make Christmas that much more meaningful for you and much, uh, more, uh, give much more understanding. It's a fancy word in English, but it simply means, it's pretty straightforward. The hypostatic basically just means personal. It's the personal union of Jesus's two natures. So what does this mean? Jesus is not two persons. It's the joining of his divine nature with the human nature in one person. So let me give you two passages. The Hebrew writer does a great job explaining this hypostatic union of Jesus' human nature and his divine nature and why he had to come as man, why he came in the human flesh. And what the Hebrew writer is doing, if you read through the book of, of Hebrews, it's written to uh, persecuted Hebrew Christians, um, those who were Jewish, who who took on the Messiahship and understood who Jesus was. But, but there's persecution that's going on. And what's happening is, is there's this, they, they, they're, they're thinking about falling away, maybe falling away from their relationship with Jesus because of the persecution and, uh, that they're facing. The Hebrew writer just methodically, chapter after chapter, talks about you cannot fall away from Jesus because he is the one. And so methodically, the Hebrew writer goes over the person of Jesus, why he's the Messiah, why he's Savior, and don't turn your back on this beautiful Savior. And says it's a beautiful book on talking about the person and the Messiahship and the divinity of who Jesus is. So listen to what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 2.17. He says, therefore, it was necessary for him, speaking of Jesus, to be made, uh, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. So let me give you a little history history lesson here in the Old Testament. What we understand in the Old Testament is you had a high priest, and the high priest represented the people before God. And the high priest, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And what he would do is he would offer up the sins of the people. And this day was called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. 
And he would go in, and he'd offer up the sins. But before the high priest could go in, he'd have to offer up a sacrifice for himself because he was just a man. And if he walked into that Holy of Holies, not consecrated before God, he would die in the presence of God. So this was a very serious thing. And it was a, it was a very joyous thing, too, that God would atone for his people through the shedding of blood. Now, here's what the Hebrew writer says. He, he parallels the Old Testament priest with Jesus being our priest who went before God on our behalf, but yet he didn't go into that holy place of God with the blood of goats and bulls, but he went in through his own blood. Because Jesus was man and fully God, he could appease the righteous demands of God through his own life. And so what Jesus becomes for us is a once and for all sacrifice to atone for the sins of you and I once and for all. So there's no need to go back into the temple year after year after year. Jesus, when he did it through his death and work on the cross, it is said for us that it is what? Finished. It's done. And in what we're going to see in just a moment, the Hebrew writer says, now Jesus sits where? At the right hand of the Father, that right hand of authority. He sits down. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And what it's meant by that is that the priest's job was never done. There was no seats in the Holy of Holies. You know why? Because his job was never done. They'd have to come the year after and the year after and atone for the sins over and over again because God wanted to remind them, your sin is always before me and it needs to be atoned for. When Jesus atoned for our sins through his work on the cross, the Bible says he sat down. That is such good news for you and I that we can find forgiveness through this perfect high priest. So Jesus' humanness is imperative for us to understand because his sacrifice allows us to have a relationship with a holy God. Hebrews 4.15, the Hebrew writer going on says, For we do not, once again, speaking of Jesus, a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. So what the Hebrew writer is saying here is, we, have a, we just don't have a high priest who is just a man, but we have one who understands everything about us. Every suffering, every pain, every setback, every struggle, Jesus understands. Why? Because he came in human flesh. He relates to you and I in every aspect, except he did not sin. So what does it mean? What does it mean that God knows us? Um, he understands us that he can sympathize with us. Well, I like what David Mathis says here. He says, the personal union of God and man in Christ is personal for us. God is a personal God who desires to have a personal relationship with you. See, what religion tends to do is religion tends to set up rules and regulations and it's all about what I do to try to approach God. It's done through my works. God says, no, what I'm going to do for you is something that you can't do for yourself. I'm going to come and meet you where you're at. I'm going to come down into our world, into our filth, into our sin, into our messiness, 
and to our dysfunction. And I'm going to come right where you are to meet you right where you are so that you can know there's a Savior who wants to cover all your sin and messiness and dysfunction and all the other stuff that's in our lives. Jesus comes to meet us right where we are. He understands. He can sympathize with you in what you are going through because of his humanness. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been through something tragic and, and you felt all alone in your, in your suffering? Like you, you went through something, you're like, man, nobody understands me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Have you ever felt that way? We're just honest with ourselves. We, we have. There's times we've gone through that. And some people will try to sympathize with you or try to empathize with you. And, and they, they might mean well, but, uh, but they haven't experienced the same trial that you have experienced. So it's hard for them to completely understand what you're going through until you meet someone who has gone through the same trial that you have gone through. And all of a sudden, you meet someone who can empathize and say, yeah, I I understand what you're going through. I can sympathize. And then there becomes that relationship that you can pray for each other and there's a a deeper understanding. You may even have a a greater friendship because of that trial that uh, that you both went through. Here's what Jesus does for us. He understands everything that we have gone through. He's a faithful high priest who can sympathize with everything that you've gone through. You are never, ever alone. See, the personal side of this hypostatic union where where this human and divine come together shows us that God desires to draw near and come into your life. God could not have come any closer to us than coming among us and living among us. And John says, we've seen this glory among us, right among us. And here's the thing that that we see in God's word and Jesus even reiterated to his disciples when he was about to leave. And they were worried. And he says, listen, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you another. And I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that will not only live among you, but will live in you to be your comforter. In fact, the word there means paraclete. It means comforter. It means one who comes alongside, who will be with you to show you that you're never, ever alone. You're never, ever alone. See, God's desire is to come and live within you, to be part of your everyday life. You see, the thing about God's presence that is so wonderful is that we know that he is always there for us. It's not just knowing about God. It's just not going through some religious calisthenic, like, you know, as a kid, you go to church once a week and you got that out of the way. Yes, we got it done. And then you just went on with your own life. God says, I've come down to earth so I could be part of your every single day life. To be that presence in your life. And I would just want you to know that in your loneliest moments, when you feel alone, you feel misunderstood, or you feel like the world's let you down, I want you to know that Jesus says, I will always be with you. And I have given you my spirit to let you know that I am with you. There's a time in my life that God just revealed that to me um, in such a vivid, vivid way. And after we lost our, our first child, I was, on, I was pastoring at the time. I was on staff at a church. And I had to go to a hospital visit 
at the same hospital where our daughter eventually passed away in that hospital. And I can remember going back to that hospital. The pastor asked me, Barney, he goes, are you ready for the hospital visit? I go, yeah, I think I'll be okay. So I went back to that hospital, and um, as I walked down the hallway, I'm like, boy, this hallway looks really, really familiar. And it was the exact same hallway. I was visiting a young teenage boy who was in ICU, and it's the same hallway, same room. It was tough. And I remember walking down the hallway, and just standing there saying, God, where are you? I remember a nurse came up to me and said, are you okay? Is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I think I'll make it. I remember looking out the window. It's like four stories up. And on the ledge, I was just looking out the window, and on the ledge was this white dove. I've never seen a white dove before, but on, there was a white dove. It wasn't a pigeon. At least I don't think it was a pigeon, unless pigeons are white. But it was this white dove. And at that moment, it was like God just captured my heart and just said, Barden, my Holy Spirit is with you. It's with you. And you are not alone. In your loneliest moments, the reason why God came is to be with you, to live in you, to give you a hope that this world isn't all that there is. The incarnation of God is so important for us to to understand because God wants to make it personal, not just something we celebrate once a year and then after Christmas is over, we go about our own lives. He says, no, I want to come into your life. I drew near to you and I want you to draw near to me. And for those who draw near to God, they will find him. The one thing I pray for my kids more than anything else is that they would know the presence of God. Not just know about him. I don't know, we need to know about God. We need to have our, you know, we need to know our theology. All that's fine and dandy, right? But how many know he wants us to know him and experience him and know his presence so that's my prayer. My prayer is that, the pre- that they would know the presence of God over and over in their lives. God wants to be with you. That's why he came. He came to serve us. He came to die for our sin so that a, a relationship that was ruined because of sin could come into a right relationship that our relationship with God that was broken because of sin would now be reconciled through Jesus coming and giving his life for us and conquering sin and death on the cross. Amen? I mean, that's what God desires through his humans, to have that relationship with him. So what we see in Jesus is this perfect union of divine and human. So the the writer of the, the book of Hebrews also captures the, the divinity of Christ, not only the humanness of Christ, but the divinity of Christ. The first chapter there, verse three, says, I, "I love the words, especially the ESV translation here. I love the words here. It says, Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature." So, not only was He fully human, fully divine at the same time. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What we see here is the oneness of the nature of the Father and his Son. They are the same. They are one. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, showing us that Jesus 
is God. Not only was he fully human, but he was God. That's why he could atone and cover our sins because he was God. That's why his offering could be a once and for all offering because he was God. Anytime you take away from the divinity of Christ, you take away from our salvation. And our salvation becomes incomplete without the divinity of Christ because now it was just a man who died for our sins, not God himself. So God coming to earth is the only way he could have reached us. Jesus is God, gave his life for us, and we know that there was a price that had to be paid for our sin. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. God himself gave his life as a ransom for us. So what does this mean? Well, what it basically means is Jesus became our substitute. Jesus' sacrifice appeased the debt we owed to God because of our sin. Jesus paid our debt through his sacrifice on the cross, and Jesus left. Jesus felt the pain and the weight of our sin upon his back. So without the incarnation, without the incarnation this could never happen. So when I was younger, it was just always hard for me to understand the the death of Christ. But it wasn't until I was older that I understood the depth of my sin and what Jesus actually did for me that it began to make sense. We cannot stop at the manger. Yes, Jesus came. He was born in, in the most meager, humble surroundings. Yet Jesus had to go to the cross to complete the will of God. In his life, when we were um, when we were traveling to it, when we traveled to Italy last summer, we we saw many beautiful, beautiful cathedrals. And if you go through the cathedrals, if any of you travel to Europe, um, the artwork is unbelievable in these cathedrals. And much of the artwork within the cathedrals d- do, uh, depicts the crucifixion of Christ and the suffering of Christ. You know the gestations of the cross. If if you grew up Catholic, uh, have some Catholic background, you you remember that in in, in the churches. And uh, what was interesting about that, it really depicted what Jesus did in his suffering and many of the paintings and the artwork. Um, And you have to remember, for those going to church in medieval times, that's how they read the Bible. Because Mass was done in Latin, and unless you were very highly educated, you would not understand Latin. In fact, the Bible was chained to the pulpit. There wasn't many Bibles to go around before Gutenberg and the invention of the printing press. And in my research, they said that a Bible before the printing press could be worth as much as a, as a as $100,000. Because you have to handwrite it, it was so meticulous. So there wasn't, you know, everybody didn't have their own Bible and Bible on their apps. And we've got 14 Bibles in our home. We got the Bible. on. It it just was very scarce to have that. And so um, what they would do is someone that was coming into a service that didn't know that, they would look around and see all the pictures. And they would see the statues and they would see the the suffering of Christ. And they would look up and and they would see the paintings. And we're in Florence and and we're at the Cathedral of Florence. Um, There's this depiction. I've got a picture of it right here. Um, beautiful artwork on the, the Duomo, the dome. And we got to walk up there, and right where the, the, the painting is, the, 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 the pictures on the dome, there's, there's a walkway. You can walk there and eventually go on top of the dome, which we did. Now, the depictions, I couldn't show you the real gory ones because they did a depiction of hell. I was just like, I got saved all over again when I saw those pictures. I'm just saying. It was just, you would look up and you'd be like, okay, uh, there's hell and there's heaven. And they would just depict the creation scene. And, you know, it was just, it was really amazing for someone who couldn't have access to the Bible themselves or understand what was going on in the mass. uh, This is how they 
understood it. And it was just, it was unbelievable. But the thing that, that I noticed as you walked through many of these cathedrals was the, uh, the reminder of the suffering of Christ and what he did for you and I. And what Jesus did and what he gave up to reach you and I. That he actually experienced the wounds, the pain, the suffering, and his humanness for you and I. He experienced all that. He felt that weight upon himself. He felt the nails in his hands and his feet. He felt the crown of thorns upon his head. He felt that for you and I. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, is how do we make it personal? It's not just knowing what he did. It's not just singing about Christmas carols, about the birth of Christ. How do we make it personal? Because, listen, if we don't make it personal, then we miss the whole meaning of Christmas. We miss the whole meaning of why God came in human form. See, remember, hypostatic means personal. And what we can easily miss during the Christmas season is the real meaning of his incarnation, that God is with us. That is Christmas, that God is with us. Matthew in his gospel says this in first chapter, 23rd verse. It says, look, a virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is living among us. So the question is, how do we make Christmas real? How can we make Christmas real? Because I know Christmas can get real stressful and we can just get sidetracked on so many other things. How do we make Christmas real? Well, it's, it's not through the perfect gift or the perfect party or the perfect meal. There's always that pressure to have all of that. But the meaning of Christmas will become real to us when we are willing to empty ourselves and allow Christ to fill us. Here's, here's the picture. God comes down. He leaves heaven to come into our mess. And then to be born in the most meager, humble surroundings for you and I. I like what Alistair Begg says here. I, was, I have his devotional. And he, the devotional a couple of days ago read this about Jesus' incarnation. Alistair Begg says this, Jesus didn't approach the incarnation and ask, and ask what's in it for me? This is, see, if we miss this, you're going to miss making Jesus personal in your life. See, many times we go into life to say, well, what's in it for me? You know, if I become a Christian, I become a follower of Jesus, what's in it for me? You see, what Jesus does here, we need to remind ourselves how powerful the, the incarnation is because Jesus didn't ask that question, what's in it for me? Instead, he arrived knowing that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew what his mission was, and that was to serve and not be served, and to give up his heavenly rights to come and to live in our mess. Alistair Begg goes on to say he was willing to leave everything and become nothing so that those who acknowledge their nothingness can be given everything. He became flesh so that he might serve. And he beautifully modeled humility to all who might follow him. 
See, when Jesus came to earth, he was willing to give it all up to reach you and I. Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Father and went to the cross. Jesus willingly humbled himself and took on the role of a servant to serve us. You see, during Christmas time, we all want the feeling of Christmas. It's, it's very nostalgic and very sentimental, and we remember our past. And, you know, all those things can be fine. It, it, you know, let's be honest with ourselves. It can be the most wonderful time of the year, right? That was pretty good, by the way. But it, it can be the most, but how many know it can also be the most depressing time of the year? For many people. But let's just be honest. See, we all want the feeling of Christmas. We can get sentimental about Christmas. But, but to truly make Christmas real and more than a feeling, we must, as Christ did, empty ourselves and allow Christ to fill us and allow him to come near into our lives. It's okay to have the holiday traditions and eat lots of cutouts with lots of frosting. Go for it. It's okay to do all that. But let's not get sidetracked because the whole reason Jesus came is he willingly gave up his heavenly rights to come and give his life for you and I. And Christmas becomes so much more meaningful and Jesus becomes so much more meaningful in our life when we empty ourselves. And we don't say what's in it for me when we empty ourselves to allow Jesus to come in and to fill our pain, to heal our, our, our shortcomings and our sin. And when we allow that to happen, we experience the incarnation and who Jesus is. We experience that personal relationship that Jesus desires to have with you and I. So my question is, where, where are you at today? Where, where are you at today? You know, have you, have you come to that point where you say, Jesus, I, I really need to make it personal and understand that you came not just for me to know about you just to go through some religious calisthenics but you really want to know me how much do you know me how much do you have of me jesus do you really have my life have i really emptied myself so that you could fill me let's do that today let's empty ourselves of our wants and our desires to say, Jesus, just fill me anew and afresh today. Give me your desires. I just want to know you for who you are. And that's where the joy and the peace comes when we can truly experience Jesus for who he really is. He's such a beautiful, perfect Savior in every single way. And he modeled for us perfect humility and how he's willing to give up so much to come and reach us and reach your life and all your shortcomings and my shortcomings. And by his wonderful grace and through our faith in Christ Jesus, we can be forgiven and healed and we can know God. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. It's knowing the one who came for you and I. It's not about religion. It's about that personal relationship that he desires to have with you each and every moment of your life. So maybe you're here today and you've gotten distracted. Maybe there's some pain. Maybe there's some stuff in your past. Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to be offered. Listen, by no means am I going to stand here and say everything in church is perfect. By no means am I going to tell you today that you might have gotten hurt in church or by another Christian. By no means people have represented Jesus poorly 
We've all represented Jesus poorly, haven't we, in some way or another? Can we do all in favor? Okay, we've all done that. So let, let's, let's understand that those things happen. But what keeps us moving forward and not discouraged and giving up? It's who Jesus is. We can get in arguments about the Old Testament. What does that mean? And does this contradict this tag? What about that? We get all these little, right? But at the end of the day, either Jesus rose from the grave or he didn't. And unless we prove that wrong, which we haven't so far, then that's our issue is Jesus. And he did everything he said he would do. Giving his life for us and conquering the grave for you to reach where you're at. That's the perfect Savior we have today. When you discover him, that's when your life is given back to you again. So I want to pray for you today. And we're going to take communion today. And um, we're going to celebrate what Jesus did for us by giving his body, by shedding his blood for us, by becoming that perfect sacrifice for you and I. So can we pray? And then we'll take communion. And then we'll close in song. So let's just thank the Lord for who he is. So Father God, we just come before you today. We thank you for what you did for us. And Jesus, as we take communion today, as we... Remember what you did for us. You told us as, as, as uh, during, right before you went to the cross and, and gave your life for us, you, you met with your disciples and you told them, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The bread symbolized your body that was given for us and the blood symbolizes this, this perfect, perfect healing that we can, that we can find, that the, that the juice symbolized your blood that was given for us and that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and we're so grateful for that. I pray, Lord, for anyone that's watching online or anyone that's here in this place today that they would know that you came for them personally. That you desire for us to have a personal walk with you that changes our life. Not through works and all this other stuff that can impede our relationship with you. Yes, you want us to do good works to glorify you, but not ourselves, not a way of accomplishment, not a way of performance, not a way to try to gain your acceptance. That was already accomplished through Jesus' perfect work. But to have a relationship with you and allow you to be glorified in our life by the way we treat others and by the way we serve others. May our motivation always be what Jesus first did for us. So we thank you for being a perfect Savior in every way. And we ask these things in your precious name, in your precious name. Amen, amen. All right, we're going to take communion today. And uh, there's two foils here. Take the top foil and it, yeah, that's good. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord there. That will reveal the wafer. And then why don't you go ahead at this point and, and take the next foil off so it reveals the, the juice and we'll all do it together. Good job. You guys, good job. Guess you good. What you hold in your hands, these emblems, symbolize Jesus' body and his blood. His physical body that was given for us. His physical blood that was shed for us, that was perfect without sin. He covers our sins. And not only does he do that, but he imputes his righteousness into us that we may now stand before a holy God and have a right relationship with him. That's our hope, that one day we will see him because of what he accomplished for us. So listen, I don't care what your past is. 
How much you think you may have messed up? Jesus' death covers our past. When you confess that to him and you give that to him, he covers it. He covers it. Aren't you thankful for that today? Aren't you thankful for his perfect sacrifice for you and I? So, Father God, we thank you for these emblems that we hold in our hands. We thank you for this wafer that we hold in our hand that symbolizes your body. We're thankful for the cup that symbolizes your blood. There can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And Jesus, you shed your blood for us to cover our past. Lord, I know we live with the consequences of our sin, but I thank you that you no longer hold our sins against us because of the work of your son, Jesus. Thank you for that. That's grace. That's mercy. And every single one of us, we need your grace and your mercy in our lives if we're to be made right. So we thank you that Jesus accomplished that for us. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Let's take the wafer together. Thank you, Lord, for your body. Amen. And then let's take the cup together. Let's drink this together. Thank you, Lord, for your blood. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Would you stand with me? And we're just going to close. The song says, come to the altar. And I love this song. It just says, you bring all this to the Lord and he covers us. He covers all our sin. So let's just praise the Lord for what he's done in our lives and how he covers us today. Amen. Sing this with us.